often I say that working with such talented group, like every conservatory in the world, I'm sure is the same. The challenges are not, can they play or not, but rather how can we make them detach from their strong personalities playing Sibelius Violin Concerto to play in a collaborative way, to really let go, to really trust the person next to them in front or in the back, wherever, and, and join the communion, really join the party of, of making sound. Today I'm talking to the award-winning Mexican conductor, Felipe Tristan. So great to meet you here on Zoom. You too. Thank you. Thank you for the time for the interview and happy to, to meet you, talk to you. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful to see everything that you've done. And um, are you quite busy now over the summer? Actually, yes. Uh, usually the summers I'd like to take on one or two projects. But this summer in particular, um, I guess, you know, post-pandemic, things started picking up more and more year after year. So this year, I've been, this summer, I've been um, quite busy traveling and doing a few projects, a recording project, release of, of a recording project, uh, two operas, uh, uh, working on a ballet, and so a number of things. I'm, I'm quite happy, uh, busy, but very happy. Oh, yeah, of course. But I saw this CD that you released. Um, it's a flute concerto. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we recorded two flute concertos, uh, one by Karl Reinecke and one by Szysztof Penderecki with the Janacek Philharmonic Orchestra uh, in the Czech Republic last year. But of course, as you know, the whole process of post-production, promotion, design, oh, yeah. everything takes a while. So finally, it was released this past June uh, by the label Hensler Classic, uh, German label. And the flutist, a dear friend of mine, Krzysztof Katzka, Polish flutist, and I have known each other for, for a while. We had discussed this recording, <clears throat> pardon me, before the pandemic, but uh, we couldn't materialize it, of course. And then finally, you know, we set a date um, had talked to the orchestra, the repertoire. We had a number of sessions like this in Zoom, talking tempi, talking, uh, you know, artistic curation. And so it feels great to finally, you know, have it done. Amazing. And so <laughs> very proud of it. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful uh, pairing of flute concertos. Uh, the Reineke is very traditional romantic in itself and uh, not that by his time there wasn't anything newer being written he just purposely wanted to stay in a more traditional language and Penderecki well of course a lot more um, edgier more uh, modern in many ways and as a result very difficult for everyone for the soloist and for the orchestra not just technically but also um, lyrically, expressively, very difficult. Very, there's a lot of depth in Pendereski's works. Um, very, very uh, intense. I, I like to use that word. 
But um, what amazing um, collaboration that you could have done that uh, because you are in America and they are in Europe. So uh, was that a bit difficult then also? It was difficult uh, to get a hold of things at first, mm -hmm. how, you know, get in the rhythm of our dynamic because of, you know, time difference and, and whatnot. But once we aligned our criteria into what the end goal was, things became much easier. Um, so then we met, of course, in person uh, a couple of times until we began rehearsals uh, in July last year. But you are a flutist yourself. You started out um, playing the flute. That's correct. So I'm a flute player myself. And so this repertoire, of course, I've known, uh, I known of it and played the Reinecke, not the Penderecki, I've known that concerto. But for, for me, it was, of course, just a pleasure to learn it and to to have the, those two concertos under my belt that I was I could be ready to conduct. I have a lot of uh, friends who are flute players that have, have told me, when I play it, please, can you conduct it? Really? <laughs> and so I'd be happy to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, Shistov uh, Katska, sorry, not Penderecki, Shistov Katska, the flutist in the city, is coming to New York to perform it with the Brooklyn Symphony uh, this season. And so I, I was happy to invite him. He accepted and he will be here performing the Reineke. Do, do you, as a conductor, now you, you know what it's like to be a flutist, do you uh, tend to then also um, understand the flutist side of, of the orchestra? Yeah, in fact, um, I think uh, one thing balances the other. And, you know, both sides of the spectrum uh, have things to teach the other side as an orchestral musician and as a conductor there are elements that are very important to be aware of each other um for example the role of the flute usually uh because in the evolution of the instrument uh the repertoire tended to be a bit more discreet more subdued and then as the evolution of the instrument became more prominent, technically advanced volume from wood to silver or to a different metal, the volume became exponentially bigger and the capacities. So flutists would um, bring that virtuosity from centuries ago, but now with an instrument that sounded louder and could play faster, uh, it became a little too loud for the orchestra. So that's the, the flutist oh. problem uh, to resolve that now they're playing too loud. They had been coming from traditions of have to overplay on a wooden flute, overblow, overplay. But when you have a better instrument, now you're playing too loud. Uh, and so it's the conductor's responsibility to balance and uh, uh, fine tune those things. Um, that's just a simple example, but of course, you know, the, the the physicality of playing an instrument in the orchestra versus the the, the uh, intangible 
gestural part of the conductor that you're not necessarily playing an instrument. You're literally not playing an instrument as a conductor. So I find it very interesting, fascinating to see uh, what things can I learn as a flute player to make me a better conductor and the other way around okay. as a conductor to make me a better flute player. But you're talking about the sound now, and uh, uh, I spoke to uh, Christian Spitaro, he's a conductor, and he said that a conductor is almost like a sound engineer. You have to control the sound or everything. <laughs> I love that sound engineer, indeed. Uh, yeah. you know, of course, that that's one of the many tasks as a conductor that you should have. Technically speaking, um, a, a good uh, conductor former uh, like conductor of the National Symphony in in the US, Leonard Latkin, once said in a master class that the jobs of the conductor are very simple. He said, there are six things that a conductor does and nothing else. Of course he was joking, but okay. there's a little bit of that. those things, six things are, should things be faster or slower? louder or softer shorter or longer so basically oh, okay. if you can show the orchestra that's it something needs to be faster or slower louder or softer shorter or longer you're good to go <laughs> of course there's a lot of that and several things of artistic interpretation yeah. but but in, in a nutshell, that is true. Um, being an engineer of sound, also you have a responsibility to make those decisions uh, and be informed whether a particular instrument can do it or not, or what's uh, what's possible from that instrument that adds to the whole equation of the orchestra. But what uh, made you... Uh change from being a flutist and or or study uh, conducting what was the uh, shift for you well you know i i had always had a curiosity for for the process of music making how the mechanics if you will now that we're talking in scientific terms engineering and mechanics uh, yeah. <laughs> that music get uh, become music, independent parts that come together and that have to be very focused, conscious effort to be together to create a one product in real time simultaneously. So that process. And that becomes very um, evident, obvious in chamber music, for example. When you're making chamber music, uh, it's obvious that there's a part that's the inner line, inner thread, uh, let's say Alberti arpeggios, things like this. There's a bass, there's a melody, there may be a counter melody, counterpoint. So all these elements eventually uh, uh, help me discover this, uh, you know, answer these questions of, of uh, how does music get made? But then from a psychological standpoint, you could say, I always had that urge to 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 dictate with even with like wind quintet I played for many years I always had you know uh, an opinion I think we should play this way from a kid I'm talking like from being a teenager um, and then 
my personality went in that direction, the curiosity, of course, my passion for music. Um, I became a flute player by profession and then eventually became more and more interested in conducting, started doing uh, uh, workshops and competitions, uh, formal studies. And so uh, as I continue to develop as a flute player, my interest in conducting continue to grow until uh, there's not a specific day that I woke up and say, I am now just going to be a conductor. But it was a, a gradual process. And then opportunities started to come up as, as a conductor more. Uh, my, my time was more focused on, on conducting duties. And, and here we are. Amazing. But you, 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 also, you have to be a lot of things as a conductor because you have to be a leader, but you have to also be the interpreter. That's, that's right. Uh, you have to be a leader. And by leadership, uh, not just, you know, we need to eradicate the idea of the leader as a dictator. That's unfortunately very traditionally associated with a conductor. That figure of that conductor is no longer relevant, is not uh, practical, uh, not correct, if you will, in today's world, today's modern world. So the leader of today needs to be a more comprehensive, a more empathic leader, someone that's really involved with the orchestra, with the persons, not just the instrument. Uh, I, I recall an instance where uh, uh, when you address musicians by their name, their response is different as if, as if you say flute one, uh, trumpet uh, two, clarinet mm -hmm. two. Uh, it's just a, as a small example, but how uh, the psychology of the, the conductor as a leader has changed, more approachable, more direct. So those are some uh, things that you know are evolving. And as an interpreter, um, of course, you first need to be a, a fully realized uh, professional musician. You know, you can't be, and this is my opinion, of course, you can't be a choreographer if you have never danced before. Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. Perhaps in music, it doesn't translate that example. I don't know. Or because um, you could be a film director and never have acted. So there, there goes my 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 thesis but uh with music i think um i think it's important to understand the mechanics uh and the engineering of music uh before you can direct it before you can plan to to do something about it um i've, I've had education also and i'm also uh, have a bachelor's in uh, communications and marketing uh, in mexico uh, and so parallel to studying in the conservatory, I was studying in marketing communication school. And at the time, I didn't understand what I was going to do with it, but uh, it helped me. It helped me acquire other tools uh, that have served me uh, as a conductor, as the leader that has to be aware of other things that are non-musical, from running uh, relations with a board of directors, um, ticket sales, promotion, addressing uh, the the audience, addressing the media, planning, all these other things are more management than, uh, than musical. This I've also heard, and it's, it's really something that uh, 
I didn't realize is that you you are as type you, you're sort of a manager you know you have to organize and you have to get the people together collaborate and you have so many things that you have to do and and the business side of things you also have to understand that's correct so uh ideally a conductor is someone that understands um uh, music as an entertainment form as horrible as may as that may sound to true artists but the conductor does need to have that uh understanding not necessarily being the at the helm or the leader of the business part because that's why organizations have an executive director but the conductor definitely needs to have a say and a strong uh vision um paired with with that uh with that aspect meaning the conductor is the head of the artistic part and marrying the business part of it um is is the goal uh so but but you can't you know dictate policy or you can't dictate um the the business direction without having an argument as to why or how is going to be done uh, one particular example recently is the programming that has changed in the past five, 10 years to become a lot more uh, expanded, more uh, uh, diverse, more inclusive. And there's there are reasons, there are social political reasons as to why we need to do that. And we're responsible for doing it as, as leaders of, of the arts. We need to be attuned with what's happening in the world and, and act on it. But uh, you've also won a lot of awards and you've done a lot of competitions. How important is that uh, for a conductor to make a name? Do you, is, it, is it to to build up a name or a reputation that you do that? Yeah, so I think it is important, not essential. Uh, of yeah. course, you are uh, every person, uh, every artist becomes an artist by living, uh, by going through the experience of life, right? Emotions, uh, uh, you know, positive, traumatic events, all these things that makes us persons and how can we uh, cattle, uh, channel these life events through our art. That said, um, because of the business part of, of the modern world, that there is competition, that there's connectivity, that there's globalization we want. Uh, we need to work to put our name out there. Uh, we need to work to, to uh, advance. So competitions, uh, while they have pros and cons, uh, competitions are a way to put your name out there and, and to help you advance. However, the goal should not be that, I think, it, in my opinion, the goal should be uh, self-improvement. Uh, you, uh, at least with me, it has worked that uh, when I have a competition, it's imperative that I create a plan for three, four, six months in advance as to little milestones. What am I going to be doing this week? This month, I'm expected to accomplish this, this other month. And uh, that scale in itself is very valuable to be very methodical about preparation, discipline, uh, work hard. And I, I, I have 
told myself when I'm in a uh, preparing for a competition, um, if I don't win anything, I've already won that I learned these pieces very well. Uh, I've already won that I've become more disciplined, more organized, have met people, have had this experience. So every every competition, every performing experience is, a, is an opportunity for growth and for learning. Uh, if they can provide feedback as to what you did right and what you didn't, that that's also very good. Um, but I go back to your question uh, competitions are important, but not essential. Mm. It's interesting that you say that about the learning, because I spoke to a young soprano and she said that um, she feels like this about auditions. You know, people uh, uh, complain about auditions and you have to do all the auditions. And she said that every audition she goes to, she sees as a learning curve, you know, as a this, I've learned a piece and I've um, had this experience and so on. So it's so positive that you also see that in competitions. It is, you know, you have to take it that way. Uh, uh, of course, that's not to say that the mentality of winning uh, also is there and yeah. you should have it. Um, uh, but um, in, in the list of benefits from doing a competition um, the learning curve is often uh, overlooked people don't see it as an opportunity that you are now better you learn this repertoire you have built endurance uh, so those are really long-standing benefits beyond a monetary prize or a performance opportunity the 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 becoming a better musician a better um athlete, if you will, uh, and more like mentally uh, uh, prepared, that's that's really the long-term benefit. Um, and that also uh, becoming a conductor, going back to our previous point, um, competitions are an important part of it, um, especially because there's no one clear path to becoming a conductor like there is for a violinist or a pianist, flutist, uh, that you go to conservatory, take auditions. It doesn't happen like that for conductors, unfortunately. Um, first of all, in, in the US, for example, um, there are there are not undergraduate studies for, for conducting. It don't exist. Mm -hmm. uh, usually mm -hmm. it's just graduate studies. So first you're expected to be an orchestral musician before you um, go for for conducting. So workshops, master classes are usually the best way to go. Attend a lot of master classes, um, uh, summer institutes as well, competitions, and um, because as I said, you're expected to first be uh, uh, no no not just an orchestral musician but a musician. You could play guitar and still be a conductor. Uh, recorder. So um, uh, that's why it, it's important to to keep those um, those things on track competitions. And also, like another teacher has said, no one person has uh, uh, the same path uh, as conducting as another person. Like in orchestral musician, you there's a clear path with conducting. There are persons that have great opportunities from the get-go 
and maybe don't have the preparation yet or people that have all the preparation and not great opportunities and everybody in between. So it really varies. Uh, every When you look at the history of some of the uh, most successful conductors, it varies widely. Some uh, won a competition, some um, had, were in the right place at the right time. So it varies a lot and every person's uh, story is different. And usually, you know, that's the best advice I can give conducting colleagues um, that, you know, don't, don't desist, be patient. Um, every person has their own story. And unfortunately, because it's so, such a relatively newer profession than being a pianist or a violinist, uh, there is no clear path. Uh, every mm-hmm. person's path mm-hmm. is different in, in conducting. But you mentioned ballet and op- and and you're involved in in uh, I read you're involved in a summer opera program. So, uh, but these are all different ways of conducting. So you yeah. conduct differently with opera and ballet and then orchestra. That's right. So um, with opera, of course, the star or the leading part is the diva, the opera star, of course. And I say in in a respectful and logical way, because uh, we depend on the the voice. The voice has certain uh, uh, limitations. Uh, A singer would, of course, want to display or show off their higher notes, the high C, things like this. Uh, So, you know, we have performance practice and traditions that have perpetuated over the centuries. Um, And so that said, an an orchestral musician uh, that's not trained in in opera will find it very difficult to follow uh, in in an orchestra pit, to follow what's happening. That's where the conductor needs to come in. That's where the conductor is a mediator between what's happening with the with the singer um, and and or the staging of that particular production. If the stage director, you know, is changing everything radically, whatever it is, the setting, and translating into gesture, into effectiveness with the people in in the orchestra in the pit. Um, so that's one style uh, approach. And then with ballet, rhythm and um, consistency, rhythm, and I would say, um, well, flexibility, of course, same with opera, uh, but consistency is very important um, that because of the physicality of what the dancers are doing. You know, they need to do 25 foot tests and you can't speed them up because then, you know, you're just yeah. not going to create a positive uh uh, environment for the dancer um but you know curious is that uh usually dancers would tell you that the tempo was fast or slow and then you do exactly the same thing and then they say that's perfect so okay. i don't know if it's if it's a a, a placebo thing uh mm-hmm. but some singers have uh pardon me dancers have told me that uh, usually it's because that the heartbeat, you know, they they are tired, and yeah. when they're relaxed, of course, their sensation is different of tempo than when they're moving, and I can understand that, of course. Um, 
So perception of tempo, uh, it's it's is very important for a conductor that that works with dancers. Um, and of course, with a, a symphony orchestra, no dance, no music. Uh, the start is the orchestra, and and as such, we need to be uh, very consciously uh, focused and together in creating the best the best interpretation. So, do you have a preference? Is there one that you enjoy more, conducting more? Uh, well, Petra, I don't know if I should say that publicly. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, I I like I like all of these. Uh, perhaps mm -hmm. symphonic repertoire. Uh, not that I prefer it, but um, because the orchestra is the star, I mm -hmm. I like that there are more stars than one star, one singer oh, okay. or one dancer. Oh, okay. <laughs> but now that's um... my. My safe answer. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, tell me about. Um, so you are um, also um, artistic director of the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. So Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra here in New York um, is turning fifty years uh, this season, and it it began as a very relaxed uh, group of amateur musicians some uh, freelancers in the in the New York City area uh, that wanted to get together. It became, began as the Brooklyn High Society uh, of Musicians. Eventually, of course, it became the Brooklyn Symphony. And now they're turning 50. And while it is still wow. a community group, it, it has professional musicians, some of the recent graduate students from the local conservatories, Manhattan School, Juilliard School of Music, Manis, etc. Join and usually come for one, two, three years before they go on to uh, their careers. But it's a very interesting group, uh, and in Brooklyn is very well known. Brooklyn is a is a borough of New York City that has grown a lot in the past years. Uh, there's a lot of really great things create creatively happening. Um, good things in the creative and arts fields. So I'm very happy to be part of it. I became, uh, became their uh, assistant conductor initially and uh, for two years. And then after that, associate conductor. And now I am the interim artistic director. And of course, you know, I take a lot of pride in what the orchestra has done and my, my contribution uh, uh, over this, these past few years. And we're looking forward to this season celebrating 50 years. Uh, we are taking them to Mexico for the second time, uh, my home country. Uh, we're going on a tour and then uh, we're doing film concerts, of course, standard repertoire. We're doing uh, The Nutcracker, uh, Beethoven 7, Prokofiev, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, we have soloists, international soloists, pianists. Uh, Christoph Katzka, the, the soloist in the CD, playing the Reineke. So very exciting season ahead. And I'm very proud of the group. Um, a lot of involvement from the, from the musicians. It's self-run. The musicians uh, run the organization. We have a board of directors, but Amazing. ultimately the decision is, is self-run. Self 
But this is something in America that I've learned over the time that I've done the interviews, that you have these orchestras that are um, they are not all professional musicians. Some of them, it's they have a, another job. Actually, the majority of them have other jobs, whether it's lawyers, uh, engineers, architects. Um, a lot of them that are not full-time musicians are music educators. So oh, okay. they teach in, in public school, private school. Uh, they're involved in music. Uh, uh, but in, not in a performance performance uh, career, so or at art administrators, things like this. Um, but they are really treated, and they of course behave as in the same habits of a professional musician. Uh, we have auditions, and we have of course placements of of principal, assistant principal, and so on. Uh, so it it is it is competitive. Um, Nonetheless, it's it's a group that uh, we have fostered a sense of belonging. I like to to call that as a as a big family because you know everybody is there because they want to be there and because they want to really have that platform to to play great music, to be on a on a um, on an itinerary and a schedule rather of, of a, a plan that we have this next concert it needs to happen as i said before a methodical plan um and so we work and for those that you know sometimes they just want to casually come and play and this is not the group i i like okay. to be very upfront very direct this is not necessarily the group for casual playing uh side read music that that's not the case <laughs> But amazing that they are so committed, you know, and and that you, and the of course the work that you do there, and then you're also involved in the um, is it Manhattan School of Music? Yes, so I the Manhattan School of Music um, has several orchestras. Where there's a uh, pre college division, the college division, graduate division, uh, and in the pre college division there are four orchestras and so i'm in charge of in charge of one of these four orchestras uh since 2018 i'm beginning my fifth season and so um it's been it's been great to to work with very talented music students that are very focused um and that have the support of their families for the most part these students come with a mindset already of wanting to become musicians. Being a conservatory, we can have students that are as young as 11, 12 years old really? and above, you know, all, all ages. If they can play, they are admitted. Um, and so, of course, later on, there are other requirements that as to they need to have a high school diploma, things like this, um, in order to advance to other levels. But, um, I have enjoyed working with them. I enjoy working with the Manhattan School of Music. It's a, it's a great organization. And often I say that working with such talented group, like every conservatory in the world, I'm sure is the same. The challenges are not, can they play or not, but rather how can we make them detach 
from their strong personalities playing Sibelius Violin Concerto to play in a collaborative way, to really let go, to really trust the person next to them in front or in the back, wherever, and, and join the communion, really join the party of, of making sound. That's, it sounds easy, but it is really difficult. Uh, no musician ever wants to make a mistake on purpose or wants to put themselves at risk of not doing something right. Uh, you know, uh, it sounds it sounds logical, but but it's like like the analogy of let's say you're walking and you don't throw yourself on the floor on purpose unless you trip right yeah. and fall. So same thing with music making or similar, um, and that no person wants to. Uh, not follow the balance, not follow what's right. Um, and so that's a part that is difficult to make all these different personalities really trust and go, uh, let go of balance and, and really play. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting setting, different than other youth orchestras that I have worked with. Um, so I, I really like enjoying with my students at Manhattan School. Um, and it has given me a lot of, a lot of uh, well, happiness and uh, uh, positive experiences, concerts. And I look forward to, to more time there, if, if the time allows, and if they want me there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but they must be under extreme um, competition and, uh, amongst each other, because, I mean, this is New York. Uh, the, the competition to get into, uh, you know, to get into orchestras like that must be huge. It is very competitive, but also we have four orchestras. So we try okay. to uh, give a place for everybody. Uh, but, you know, they, they need to have a, a certain level of playing. Um, usually the students that come to Manhattan School of Music uh, have already played in many other orchestras from the elementary school to state youth orchestra of New Jersey or Connecticut or New York, like the area. Um, and so they they come now thinking of uh, pursuing music as a career, uh, you know, to, to really go in that direction. Uh, so we have some students, uh, a, a good amount of students, I would even dare say a third of our students, if not more, are students that their entire families move from a different country to come live in New York so that their mm -hmm. child can pers pursue uh, music studies. People from, from, from Europe, um, from Asia, from Korea, and other cities in, in, uh, in the US, uh, South America. And so um, uh, I remember uh, a couple of students from, from well, one from the Netherlands, a pair of sisters from the Netherlands, both very good to give an example in in uh, in violin playing and also in figure skating. Almost compete like uh, uh, at a competitive level. Uh, and so, you know, when they get to Manhattan School of Music, uh, I think the the requirement and it's so demanding that they in a way need to choose one or another. Uh, and we are there to to help as educators, we have the responsibility to to help 
each person uh, choose, guide them, but we cannot dictate, right? So I remember one of them really went into, into figure skating and the other really went into violin. Maybe they will change tomorrow. I don't know. But I give that example as to the type of situations that we encounter, but our responsibility is to to guide and to say a career in music, uh, you will have to do this and this and that. It could work, it could not, it has worked for others. Uh, but but you know, the reality is it is a difficult career. Um, and so from a young age, uh, while they come with this mindset, it's important they come with their families and they support them uh, in, 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 in advancing uh, and growing as musicians. Yeah, because it's also that dedication, you know, that and, and the sacrifices to, to leave your country or to leave your family and go. So, um, and, and from a it's, young age, like you say, from a young age already, you have to be committed to to what you want to do. It's not something that you can just pick up, you know, when you're 18 or so decide you want to be a violinist. You have to have that whole um time where you spend and as a young as a young child uh, you know dedicated to to your instrument i i agree it's very important uh to have uh the support uh, a, a system of support uh in a home um of course you know that's not to say that if you don't have it you can't be a musician of course yeah. you can you know passion in the end uh, and vocation will will happen regardless, but uh, it it usually I usually see very inspiring stories of families that move their entire uh, life to a different country, a different state, and and for for success stories, really, some of these students go on to to pursue music and then have important careers. So. Of course, as a you know, I I feel I take pride in them, even though I've only been there for a little over five years. Well, starting the, the next year, um, I you know I I I love my students and I take pride of their accomplishments. Uh, often they contact me on social media and say, "How are you? I remember you said this and that mm -hmm. and and whatnot." And so you know, the yeah. benefits of, of an educator. Well, you talk about social media now. You've got a very interesting uh, Instagram page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I think that's where the the communications and marketing uh, background has has manifested. Mm -hmm. In that, I I think that the modern musician, the modern artist needs to pay attention of course to digital channels digital media social media and it's a it's an important tool um uh putting aside the the fun aspect of it that could also be dangerous because then you could be distracted um yeah. but it is an important tool that we we need to consider that is being considered now by all arts organizations major arts organizations are really now putting efforts to it and so um, in my page, I like to show, um, you know, the, the, the aspects behind the scenes, you could say. Yeah. Uh, of course, 
show some things are happening in in my life and my music life uh sometimes even in my personal life family things like this but um i think people are curious to know you know what happens how do you prepare for a piece uh for example i here i have a, a score of don giovanni and so i was recording earlier uh some stories of of the parts that i how i divided and, and whatnot um and then comparing it to different uh, editions is the band writer this is the peters so um you know all this behind the scenes i think it's important content it. to be yeah. and and it. that it it can be successful people are curious and then they consume your product and as a result support music and come to your performances yeah i think you do it in a wonderful way because you do show the, the behind the scenes but you and it's so uh, different things that you show but it it's uh, really connecting I think it's you. You really do it in a in a very lovely way. Thank you. Uh, I think um, it's important to, you know, because we have a a, a target uh, audience, the younger ones especially, that yeah. their first encounter, and especially post pandemic, mm -hmm. is through digital world before they go onto a physical uh, mm -hmm. a theater to see a performance. So we have that responsibility to, to show them and then invite them. Uh, the risk there is that uh, if everything becomes digital, then, you know, what's going to happen there. But yeah. I think it's, it's, it's fun to keep a balance. And as you said, you know, show the behind the scenes, the details, um, and, and take, take advantage of that, of that tool of, mm -hmm. of social media. Well, I saw also on your Instagram that you were at the Grammy Awards, and I so I read that you are involved in the um, is it the Afro Latin Jazz Band? Is it a band or it's, it's an Afro Latin Jazz? Uh, well, the organization is called the Afro Latin Jazz Alliance, yeah, and the Alliance has different groups uh, under their umbrella. Uh, one is the Afro Latin Jazz Orchestra. Therefore, Latin Jazz Ensemble, the Fat Cats Youth Orchestra, which is a, a jazz youth orchestra, well, three uh, youth orchestras by level. And so with this organization, what I do is creative partnerships, meaning um, with my background in classical, I try to bridge um, the, the Latin world, Latin arts, Latin jazz world with classical, and how can, where do they intersect? What projects can be done? And uh, Arturo Oferil, who is the artistic director of the Afro-Latin Jazz Alliance, has, uh, you know, has, has said many times that he doesn't like to define his music or his orchestra, the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, in a, in a particular genre, but rather that this, the beginning point is Afro-Cuban, Afro-Latin Jazz, but then expand onto other genres. And so much so that he has written symphonic pieces that I have uh, conducted, premiered, and now he's working on an opera that I'm going to conduct. And so uh, I think very interesting things uh, that happen. And here in New York, you know, like in Europe, that you are uh, in a big city with where you see a dancer, an architect, a fashion 
uh, designer. And so all this inter-collaboration, interdisciplinary collaboration uh, enriches the experience. So this organization does that. And the Grammy that you saw uh, is a project in which I participated. Uh, we, the Afro-Latin Jazz Alliance, um, created an album called Fandango at the Wall. And so this was a massive project began a few years ago, Fandango at the Wall, uh, where we did produce a concert on the border between Mexico and the U.S. in, in California, in San Diego on the U.S. side, and Tijuana on the Mexico side. And that concert was very successful. Uh, a fandango, it's a celebration, it's a party, sound, like a jam session uh, where any musician can join. So this was, of course, a curated uh, performance, a, a concert. And so from that project came a documentary on HBO, then came two different albums, a book, and a, a touring uh, version of it that went to many places, uh, Middle East, Europe, South America, etc. And so the last album is the one that got the Grammy. And of course, we we were uh, went to LA for the celebration this past February. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. It was the first time I I, I went to a Grammy uh, ceremony, and you know it only reaffirmed my. Uh, my idea is that, you know, that we live in a bubble sometimes in classical music. Uh, 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 it has pros and cons. The pros is that we are guardians of, of, uh, of the canon, uh, you know, of classical music. But the con is that we, we missed on many things that are happening outside our bubble, uh, like Things are happening in, in the music business, in other genres, in pop, in rock, uh, whether you like it or not, right? These things are happening, the business part of it. Uh, but there is a middle point where classical and pop meet that, uh, that it's very interesting. I think it's often neglected. Um, usually people in the classical world see pop music as a, a little bit less and in pop or or more popular genres, they don't think the same as classical. Actually, they pay their respects. In my experience, they every time a, a, a more popular rock artist learns that you know they're working with a classical musician, they are very positive and very respectful and enthusiastic. And so, I think as classical musicians, we have responsibilities to to be friendly, to be collaborative. And being at the Grammys for me was uh, an eye-opening experience in that sense. Amazing. And also, uh, you know, crossing genres and and being interested in the different genres must be also something that is great for musicians. Uh, it is because, uh, you know, it enriches your experience. Of course, you become more... Um, uh, uh, acquainted with other disciplines and see what what things you learn from a different genre that you can apply to your to your genre. Um, in particular, um, in with jazz world, I've learned a freedom, uh, freedom, uh, improvisational, and not being afraid to experiment. That usually in classical, because we have very strict set of rules 
of how to play, uh, you know, the mindset. Um, it's it's very uh, nourishing to come to bring that freedom into a classical world. Yeah, I can imagine that. But now, Felipe, you you are you doing such amazing work. I mean, it's if I read about all the things you do, I don't know where you have time to do everything. But you are so committed, and you do so many things. But what what is the dream for you? Ah, great question. Um, well, I guess the dream is to uh, become the best version of myself, as cheesy as that sounds. But really, I think I um, I want to be the best I can be in directing when I'm directing, conducting, uh, or performing if I'm playing flute. Although my my focus right now is solely on on conducting so that's where i'm putting my most of my efforts if you ask me do i enjoy more uh ballet opera symphonic as you did i think it's symphonic but i love opera i really like opera um and so we'll see where i'm i'm letting things happen organically naturally where i gravitate uh at times i you know, if I'm disappointed because a particular project didn't work, maybe I'm sad in that moment, but maybe that's a sign of the universe telling me that's not where I need to go. And, you know, at times we don't see these things only until later. But yeah, I think my goal is to continue performing, continue growing uh, uh, and and trying to learn from these different areas of arts administration education, Manhattan School, um, uh, social media, communications, these tools to make me uh, a better uh, artistic leader, a better music director. Well, I think it's a wonderful dream to have or wish to have. And um, and yeah, I mean, you, you've done, like I say, you've done so much already and uh, a, a very impressive work, you know, that's really especially with the youth orchestras and the way you talk about that that uh, because i think they are also the ones the musicians of the future and it's it's so important the way i think they are treated and the way the example they are being given so congratulations for all the work that you're doing there thank you thank you petra thank you so much um i at one time i was I was a student in a youth orchestra. I was inspired by my professors, by my teachers, and I can only hope I can also serve. I can also serve as inspiration to my students. And I think in in giving, there there is receiving. So when you give, exactly. you also receive. Mm -hmm. You grow, and um, that's that's also uh, a, another goal to to grow as I as I give. Wonderful. But Felipe, uh, do you ever come to Vienna? Um, I have only been for vacation, so I hope sometime I can be there for another vacation or for performing. <laughs> yeah, but you have to let me know when you're here. I will, I will, and uh, I would love to 
to meet in person, maybe have lunch or coffee. Dinner. That would be great. That would be wonderful. So or if you could... come to New York, please let me know. Yeah, I've never been to America. I've never been to New York, so but I'll definitely let you know when I come. Oh, you have to come to New York. Yes, it's <laughs> it's overwhelming, but but it's exciting. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, on your Instagram, it looks very exciting. So, um, so I'll definitely have to come. It is exciting. I have great memories from Vienna when I was there first time. I. Wow, I, I felt I was in a dream. So really. Well, let's yeah, put yeah. the wish out there that you come to Vienna. And you come and, and, you, and do a concert here. I would love that. And and you will certainly be there and I'll give you tickets for a first row. <laughs> oh, that would be great. So now we uh, have to put that wish out there. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Petra, for talking to you. Okay, thank you for trying to have have a lovely afternoon. Uh, Bye. Thank you. Good night.